0: this week i was like lord i think you got the wrong guy (laughs) you know it's just a rough week i mean it didn't feel rough but started with i'm at the grocery store this guy's behind me and i'm leaving trying to turn but it's during school and this guy keeps honking at me i can't leave because there's no way that i could go you know and uh It doesn't really bother me. I'm laughing, actually. I'm like, well, I can't go anyway. So your frustration, you're just going to have to sit with it. And then when I could go, he came out after me and told me I was number one. He gave me the bird. (laughs) I was fine up until that point, but uh, I wanted to choke my man out. I did. I sped up, and thank God he sped up. He just zoomed away, but I was on the phone with my cousin Jamie and I said, man, this dude just flipped me off and in my flesh, I want to choke him out. And Jamie said, you should have just waved to him. I said, yeah, I know. <laughs> and then me and Heather and just, I mean, we really, we don't ever argue. And this week has been like, oh, it's just been rough. I'm losing patience with the kids. And I'm like, Lord, are you sure you got the right one? Because <laughs> uh, I really, really don't feel like it. The amazing thing, me and Heather lay down to take a nap on Saturday and when we woke up she started telling me this dream she had and all of a sudden it's like the presence of the Lord filled the room and He just spoke over us. You know the scripture says to worship the Lord with spiritual songs and hymns and and I just started just singing a, a song and I just sat there and praised Him and cried like a little baby for His goodness because it's like we didn't do anything. To earn or to deserve that presence. I wouldn't even share that with you except there's a purpose in it. And the purpose is this, is that all that stuff is distractions trying to get us to identify ourselves to our failures instead of Jesus' success. Amen. Amen. You know, when you go through stuff like that, that's the trying of your faith. Are you going to put faith And what you didn't do, or are you going to attach your faith to what he did? Because what you did will only keep you bound if that's what you attach your faith to. But if you attach your faith to what he did, that's where real liberty comes from. As born-again believers, we're always supposed to find our identity from who our Father says that we actually are. We hear the gospel or the cross, when it's preached, it's preached to expose your sin. The gospel that we have heard in the past is always to expose your sin, but the gospel was never exposed to expose your sin. It was supposed to expose your value, how valuable you actually are. That's the verse that I'm going to start with. It's in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. I know people who say that once they got saved, they never struggled with anything honestly i don't think those people are lying i know people assume well yeah you know they're dishonest i honestly can't tell you whether they are or not i believe the best for everyone so i hope that yeah that's true because jesus modeled the sinless life because he was filled with the holy spirit so i can't say that they're lying i'm just saying that i haven't got there yet (laughs) like that's what i'm aiming for though But the blood of Jesus is so precious to us because it says that it cleanses our conscience from dead works so that we can serve the living God. You know you can't have the blood of Jesus applied to you outside of Him? That you have to be in Christ to apply the blood of Jesus. (laughs) You do. He's talking to saved people. He's not talking to unregenerated people. And I just thank God that, you know, there's a throne that's called literally grace. He named his throne grace because it says that we can come boldly unto the throne of grace. And grace is God's ability to influence our heart, our mind, our will, our emotions to then where it actually reflects in our life. That actually is what grace is. So I can go in my moment of weakness or temptation and there's a throne called grace where I can find God to help me. And it says to actually receive mercy. You only need mercy after you missed it. You don't need mercy when everything's going good. You need mercy after you just blew it. And it says that after I just blew it, I can receive mercy at God's throne, which is called grace, and receive grace, His ability, in my time of need. Amen. See, we were never supposed to focus on our weakness. Because in our weakness, Christ's strength is supposed to be perfected in us. But you can't perfect the strength of Christ in your weak areas if you're focused on your weak areas. (laughs) It all comes from beholding Him. Amen. That's why the Apostle Paul mastered it when he said he could have said a hundred things, but he said this one thing I do. I forget those things which are behind me, and I press on to those things which are before me. And that's what we do. We forget those things that are behind us because looking back will keep us from moving forward. But when we realize that the prize of the high calling is in Christ, not in me, it's in Christ, (laughs) and I'm there with Him, amen, I'm there with Him, and you're there with Him, amen. And we have to see ourselves in Christ despite what we do or what we don't do. My days of approaching God because I feel like I deserved it or I earned it, those days are done, Like, I don't approach God for anything based upon my own merit anymore. If I have to earn something that Jesus died for, that means that Jesus wasn't enough to get me what I need. And He was. Because the cross doesn't expose our sin, it actually exposes our identity. Romans 5.8 But Christ died for us while we were yet sinners, and by this God showed how much He loves us. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. Jesus' death was always meant to show you your value, (laughs) not your sin, because the blood of Jesus cleanses our conscience from dead works so that we can serve the living God. That's what it says, and it says in Hebrews chapter 10 that the worshippers once purged should have no more sin consciousness. Amen. So when the enemy comes and we have a bad week like that, You know, you could say, well, yeah, Brother Steve, you probably shouldn't be up there. And I think, yeah, I had those same thoughts. (laughs) But nevertheless, here I am because Christ is the one who qualified me. Amen. It's like with any of us. I won't attach my faith to my failures because when people do that, we walk away with condemnation because there's no way that we can change ourselves. We already know that. But when we attach our faith to Jesus' success despite our failures. In those times, that's when those weak places are made strong because it's his strength perfected in us. Amen. See, he's the author and finisher of our faith. Like I heard Bill Johnson say, he said, I never turn inward to see if I have what I need. I always have to look upward because the moment that I turn inward and I'm trying to inspect to see if I have the faith to get what I need I've already missed it because I'm looking to myself to produce something but the moment that I look to the one who authored it and the one who's supposed to perfect it and the one who's supposed to finish it that's where increase comes from I'm no longer bound by my circumstances you're no longer bound by your circumstances so if you live six months without committing a sin hey that's great but the moment that you slip and that you fall it's like it never happened because you weren't counting the time till freedom. You were already free the moment you were born again. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. We can't find our identities from where we fail because it just perpetuates bondage. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. Amen. I'm going to say something and it's going to sound like it's complete heresy. Because in Christendom, we actually think that we're supposed to identify with Jesus' death. But it's not His death that we're supposed to identify with. I'm going to actually be reading out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14. Because we've been taught to identify with His death, we find comfort in the fact that He died for us. But listen to what 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17 says. And if Christ has not been raised from death, then your faith is for nothing. You are still guilty of your sins. It wasn't in His death that brought us freedom. It was actually in His life that liberated us. When Jesus died, you died with Him. But if there was no resurrection from the dead, you would still be dead. But because when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. You were part of that captivity that he led captive. And then he gave gifts to men and he tells us what these gifts are and the problem is is when we start trying to work for something that is a gift it keeps us from receiving it because nothing from God is supposed to be by works in Christ everything that God wants to give you is supposed to be a gift and it says in Romans chapter 4 that if you work for something it can't be given then as a gift then it has to be pay as work that's what it actually says I think it's in verse 3 So the church has been trying to work for gifts that were always supposed to be free. If I came and worked for you, and then at the end of the day, you said, when you're done, come and I'm going to give you a gift. If I went in there and you handed me my pay and said, here's your gift, I would be like, I just worked for this. (laughs) This isn't a gift. Automatically, you would know that there's supposed to be something else than what they gave you that you worked for because you can't call a gift something that you earned the gift of salvation is free the gifts of the spirit are free he gave gifts to men apostles evangelists prophets teachers all gifts and what the body of christ has been programmed to do is to try to get something from god based upon performance but that would be work then it couldn't be gifts So anytime we come to God thinking you should because of me, man, that's a bad place to be in. And I'm sure all of us have been there at one time or another because there are works that we do, but not to achieve anything. We're saved unto good works, not because of good works. See, what the enemy tries to do is he tries to come and tell you that there's always more that you could be doing. So in your mind, you disqualify everything that you already did. I've been there. There's always more that you could be doing. So in your mind, you're telling yourself, I don't measure up to what I should. But what standard are you holding yourself accountable to? Do we seek change? Yeah. Do we seek to be better people in Christ? Yeah. But the key word, in Christ in Christ. It's because of Him that I have new life. Nothing that any of us have ever did have qualified us to do anything for Him. I'm actually going to read that out of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4. We can say this, because through Christ we feel sure before God. I don't mean that we are able to do anything good of ourselves. It is God who makes us able to do all that we do He made us able to be servants of a new agreement from himself to his people. It is not an agreement of written laws, but it is of the Spirit. The written law brings death, but the Spirit gives life. The King James says that not to think that we're anything in and of ourselves, to say that we're anything, it says, but God has made us able ministers of the new covenant. God is the one who qualified us. That's what it says. It's in Romans 4.25. It says, Jesus was handed over to die for our sins, and he was raised from death to make us right with God. He was raised from death to make us right with God. If Jesus wouldn't have been raised from death, you couldn't be right with God. You have to understand this because it's not in his death that we find our identity. It's in his life. I'm going to read out of Romans chapter 5, verse 14. But from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, everyone had to die. Adam died because he sinned by not obeying God's command. But even those who did not sin that same way had to die. That one man, Adam, can be compared to Christ, the one who was coming in the future. Verse 15, But God's free gift, free gift, is not like Adam's sin. Many people died because of the sin of that one man, but the grace that people received from God was much greater. Many received God's gift of life by the grace of this other man, Jesus Christ. That's where it says that in Adam all men died because all men sinned. But where there is no law, there is no punishment. But it said that all men still had to die even though they didn't sin like Adam sinned by breaking God's command. It says, from Adam to Moses, all died. There was no law in effect. Why'd they die? Even the most holiest person was still defiled because they were born with a nature. You didn't become a sinner the first time you sinned, all of a sudden, you're a sinner. No, you were born with Adam's nature. A sentence of death was passed on to you from your mother's womb. From your first breath, you're already actually taking stages. You're growing, but your first breath is leading up to the last breath. It's death. It was the sentence of death. You weren't a sinner the first time you sinned. You were born with a nature of sin. When Jesus died... That nature, when we accepted Him as our Lord because He rose from the dead, that nature inside of us died. Our new life does not come from His death. It comes from His life. It's because He was risen from the dead that you can have hope. When Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in the Gospel of John and He says, unless a man be born again, he can't enter into the kingdom of God, He wasn't giving him a metaphor. He was telling him the truth when he said, it's better that I go to the father, because if I don't go to the father, then the Holy Spirit can't come. But as soon as I go to the father, the comforter will come. As soon as that comforter came and we put our faith in Christ, that comforter came inside of us and gave you new birth. Without the new birth of the Holy Spirit, when he comes inside, the Bible says, if you don't have the spirit of God, you don't belong to him. That's in Romans chapter eight. It says he who doesn't have the Spirit of God doesn't belong to Christ. That's actually what it says. Because the Spirit was the one that was able to raise you from the dead, your spirit, spiritually dead, because you're born spiritually dead. Because that's what it says in Romans chapter 8, that if the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who that raised Christ from the dead shall also quicken, make alive your mortal bodies by that Spirit which is inside of you. That's the Holy Spirit that we have. That's the one who regenerated us when we were dead. As soon as we put our faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit came in and gave birth to our spirits. Now we're alive unto God. We find our death in Jesus' death, but we find our life in His life. Amen. The payment of Jesus was no good if it wasn't for the Father raising Him back to life. That's what the Scripture says here. Well, Brother Steve, I just really don't feel like I'm experiencing new life. <laughs> this week I would have told you the same thing. If you'd have asked me the week before, I'd have been like, no, it's all new. <laughs> it's new. God is good. Amen. God is so good. The transformation that we're all looking for doesn't come through the new birth. When you're born again, you will stay the exact same as you are now if your mind is not renewed. Transformation comes from a renewed mind. That's what it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says, I beseech you, brother, by the tender mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of service. That word service is actually the word worship, which is your reasonable act of worship. And be not conformed to the pattern of this world any longer. But then what does he say? to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformation doesn't come the moment you're born again. It just gives the opportunity for you to be transformed. That's why when believers who are out there living sin-filled lives and people say, well, they're not saved. No, they're saved. I was talking to my cousin Jamie this week and I was telling him I would have went as far as other people had I not found the value that I found in the scriptures from the moment I was saved. I really believed there was life in here when I gave my life to the Lord. I spent hours every single day reading the word. Heather can testify. I took like 30-some scriptures of everything I dealt with and hung them on our refrigerator. Every morning before I went to work, I would get up early and read those scriptures because I really believed that there was life in here. And you know what? I found life because the word of God, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, is alive and it's active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the dividing asunder of joint and marrow, of soul and spirit, and is able to discern the thoughts and the intents of the heart. I believe that. And it's because of the value. The reason I have that value was because of Mark. It was. He put such a high standard on Scripture and the studying of it that I knew if I was going to get anything from God, I would have to do the same. Amen. Now, I don't wear condemnation because my mind is programmed to reject it. That doesn't mean the thoughts don't come to me like everybody else. The feelings of distance don't come to you when you mess up and want to choke somebody out. (laughs) All those feelings of, man, I know better than to do that, are arguing with Heather. and I can tell you 90% of the time she's right. Honestly, she is. No, it's true. I'm not saying that to make her look good. It's true. It is. My mom can attest to it. Any of us could easily let that become our identity. And that's what the enemy's after. He wants us all to question, are you sure that I should be doing anything for you? (laughs) I mean, who am I? Look at what I've done. So we all should just shut up and sit down and do nothing. See, that's what the enemy's after. He's after your voice. He's after your hands. He's after your feet. He's trying to stop the body of Christ from becoming everything that we were always meant to be. And he tries to mold our identity according to our circumstances. And instead of what is said there in Romans chapter 5, that by this, God showed how much he loves us, that why we were sinners, Christ died for us. Once we get that truth, condemnation starts to lose its grip. And I can tell you, even if you're doing a horrible job at not sinning, if you hate it, every single time you miss it, you're born again. If you hate it, every time you miss it, you're born again. Because there was a time in your life where you didn't care. Like I always say, I woke up, I lived for that stuff. I mean, I fought over less stuff, honestly. But now, as soon as I miss it, it bothers me. I'm like, Lord, I thought I was way past this. I thought I was way past this. I ain't seen that in months. It's probably been about six months since I got in pride. I'm thinking, I'm doing great, man. I'm thinking, I'm doing good, you know. This new life is working. And then all of a sudden, that old man tries to come back. And I'm like, Lord, what's going on? <laughs> And I know that you guys have had the same thoughts. I know it's not just me. The scripture says that when the enemy comes in, it says like a flood, the Lord will raise a standard against him. And that standard is no other than Jesus Christ himself. That standard is raised against the enemy on your behalf. Because when he died, he didn't die for himself. Jesus didn't die for himself, we all understand that, right? He was doing really, really good in heaven. He was. He was at God's right hand there. When he came to earth and humbled himself, I don't think we understand what he actually went through. The God of the universe had to humble himself and be put inside of a woman's womb. The God of the universe, he was born amongst the stables. When he came out, his lungs were still trying to learn to breathe. He was crying like any other baby who is uncomfortable. God made himself uncomfortable, but it wasn't for himself. He did it for you. He did it for me. He knew what it was like to be hungry. He put himself in a desert for 40 days without any food. Not for him, for you, for me. It's amazing. He allowed the enemy to come and tempt him. And it wasn't for him. It was for you. Amen. And three times he defeated the temptations of Satan with the Word of God. He defeated him, not for him, but for you. He was rejected. He was laughed at. They wanted to kill him. All his peers, all the Pharisees and the leaders of Israel wanted to put him to death. That's why the Bible says that he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. They were ashamed of Jesus. He wasn't this majestic person that everybody in the world wanted to see. No, he wasn't. He was rejected by the rulers and the leaders of his day. And if you couldn't see God in him, then you couldn't be drawn to him because there was no beauty that we should follow him, the scripture says. None. He didn't do any of that for himself. When he's in the garden of Gethsemane and literally blood is pouring out of his pores because his blood pressure is so high from intense pressure of knowing what is about to happen to him. And he's praying, if there's any other way, Father take this cup from me yes we don't hear the father's side but the father has to be saying there's no other way i calculated i ran the math there's no other way you're sweating blood i can't imagine what the father was doing the father is seeing his son go through this torment he might be in heaven but you got to understand that god is moved with compassion for his people unsaved people this is his son who subjected himself to come and be born in a curse-filled earth he just just left heaven. There's no curse in heaven. Heaven's beautiful. And here you see your son in this agony. And the only thing you can tell him is that I can send 12 legions of angels to destroy the world and set you free. But how then shall the Scriptures be fulfilled? Jesus said, I didn't say anything the Father didn't say and I don't do anything the Father didn't do. And He told Peter, I could presently at this time called 12 legions of angels to destroy the world and set me free. Which means during that garden, the father would have had to tell him, this is the only way. But if you do it like this, I'm willing to let you. I hate seeing you go through what you're going through right at this moment. Just look at the joy that's been set before you. And he would have had to Been looking at those apostles who were sleeping, that he had to go and wake three times and say, Can't you stay awake in one hour and pray? Pray lest you fall into temptation. He had to be looking at them. And he went through with it. He let him lock him up. He let him pluck out his beard. He let him hit him with sticks, cover his head with a cloth, punch him, say, Prophesy, who just hit you? He let him scourge him, spit on him, mock him, ridicule him, make him carry his own cross. He let him put him on that cross a crown of thorns on his head, stand down there and mock him, the rulers, the ones who thought that they were actually doing what God wanted. They were opposing everything God was. He let him stand there and mock him and say, if you're the son of God, come down from there. You saved others. Can't you save yourself if you're God's son? He let him do that to the point to where he breathed his last breath and said, it is finished. The payment that was required for sin was finished, but the Father wasn't finished. Three days, Jesus lay in that grave, His body. It says that He ascended into the deep. Well, they didn't put Him under the ground. They stuck Him in a tomb. My own personal beliefs is that Jesus went into the pit of hell and that He took the keys of hell, death, and the grave away from Satan. Because in Revelations chapter 1, he says, Behold, I am he who was dead, but now I'm alive, and I have the keys of hell, death, and the grave. <laughs> that third day was such a glorious day. Could you imagine the father getting ready? It's like final countdown. <laughs> you know, It's like a big deal in heaven. The son that man killed, God was about to raise to life. Could you imagine the anticipation of the Father? (laughs) I can. It moves me when I think about it. Because the beautiful thing is is that He wasn't even raising the Son up just for the Son. He was doing it for me, and He was doing it for you. When that angel came and rolled that stone away, and Jesus stepped out, I could imagine like trumpets going off in heaven I can imagine it sound like warring thunder in heaven because the angels refuse to be silenced at the presence of this king that's been entrusted with your and my salvation. As he rises up and takes his place as a rightful heir of all that God has and sits down at the Father's own right hand. And the Bible says that He's at that place and He ever lives to this very day, at this very moment, this very second. He's interceding to the Father for you on your behalf. He died for you, but He also was raised from dead for you because everything that Jesus accomplished in this earth was for you, not for Him. He was already in heaven. He was already the Son of God. It says that Jesus died to bring many sons and daughters unto God. It just says sons because it's talking about all of humanity. It's amazing, ain't it? That Jesus would start writing a story and say, here, I want you to to start writing it and I'll finish it when I come back. That he would entrust such a precious thing into our hands. That means we must be something in the heart of God? And what if your whole life, from the moment of conception, every single plan that the enemies ever made was to rob you of that identity? Man. But I pray today that none of us ever go back to that place where we allow someone else to beat us up, ourselves to beat us up, condemnation, the devil to beat us up. But I pray that today is a day of liberty for every one of us. That when we leave this place, that we're strengthened by might in the inner man. Amen. That God, where the scripture actually says that he might open unto our eyes revelation and wisdom, that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the depth and the length. Oh man, of his love. It says in Jeremiah that God has loved us with an everlasting love. That it says that while we were yet sinners, God loved us. Why we were yet sinners. So why would we let anything that we go through in this earth rob us of the reality of His love? When we were at our worst state, we were loved of the Father. It was a gift. It's because you were created with purpose. When God created humanity, we were made in the likeness and the image of God. It's always been that way. We were always made in God's likeness, in God's image. Every time a child's born, there's another one that resembles God. There's another one that resembles God. There's another one that resembles God. Why do you think the enemy hates us so much? Because he has to look at what the Father looks like every single day. He has to live on an earth filled with people that look just like God. And what's even worse for him now He has to live looking at people who don't only look like God, but they are like God. They carry His power, His spirit, His might, His dominion, His ability inside of them because the same spirit that is God lives inside of them. It's a bad day for the devil. It is. Amen. Amen. But not for us. Our best days are still ahead. Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus, we just thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that you're always with us. You never leave us or forsake us. I thank you that this revelation of grace, Lord God, impacts not only this church, but the areas around us, that there would be such a revolution of grace that we would no longer be self-focused, but that we would be Christ-focused, that you would become our identity and everything. Lord, that you would just engulf us with the presence of who you are. And I know that the scripture says that as we behold you, we're changed into that same image. So we're asking you for grace, your ability to help us behold you even more than we ever have. We thank you for ever increasing grace, Lord God. Jesus increased in grace. So we thank you, Father, that we increase in who you are. And I thank you that it's your good pleasure to give us the kingdom, that it was your pleasure that you planned and prepared this. So we just thank you for it. We thank you that all of our days are already blessed because the length of our days are held in your hand. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.